Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at... Amen. You know what? It's my uh, privilege and pleasure today to introduce to you a man that's going to minister to us. I know many of you are like, wow, we want to hear you. That's okay. I'll be back. I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere. But this guy comes to us. Uh, This is someone that has been a friend of this congregation for many, many years, Uh, a friend of uh, the staff. He's, He's known us and worked with us. But also, this is a person that we have personally, this church has invested in his ministry, and so we've asked him to come and speak to us. So let's give Pastor Jack Harris a big hand as he comes. Amen. Now, now as he's making his way up here, I'm, I, I'm kind of doing the timing just right, because if we're going to embarrass each other, then we've got to do it right. And so... I just, I told the first service this, that, you know, this is a man that I really highly, highly admire. This is, this is the kind of guy that's a, a landmark type person. And the reason is, is because I know a little bit about his ministry and his history. I don't know exactly how long he's been in ministry. I know it's a, a fairly long time. I'm not sure how you get 40 years or 50 years in ministry when you're only 29, right? right. But he, he did somehow. It's supernatural. But somewhere along the line, his ministry has reached nations. You know, the Bible, I think of the Bible when it says Jesus' great commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, let me tell you something. This man right here has done just that. He's opened up Mexico, Africa, the Philippines, uh, uh, Malaysia, um, the Middle East, Iraq, and Egypt, and other areas in there that he's opened up for our fellowship to be able to minister. And countless numbers of people have been saved. And, And today, right now, there's thriving works around the world because this man went in, hazarded his life when no one else would go, and, and gave his life for Jesus there and said, you know what, I'm going to preach the gospel. So let's give him a big hand one more time. Forty-four years. I was just counting it on my fingers and toes, and uh, yeah, 44 years now. And uh, wow, how can you put in 44 years when you're only 29? It's, just, it's a mystery, but then the kingdom's like that, isn't it? Now, I'm, I'm staring here uh, because my message was right here, and it's gone. How can that possibly happen? Just fortunately, I preached it just before uh, to the other bunch, just before you. So if I have to, I can shoot from the hip. But I'm really bugged about this. And I'm likely to stand here the whole service trying to figure this out. Because I just had it on here as I was talking up there. And maybe, you know... Maybe the thing, yeah, I can wink at you, but, but you know, I'm obsessive-compulsive. I can't help it. I'll have to solve this mystery before I can even do anything else. Okay, well, we'll, we'll move on. Maybe uh, it's Mabel. You know, that woman that's in this phone, she does cause me no... If any of you have an iPhone, you know what I'm talking about. They... I'm driving along in my car, and, and I got the uh, GPS on, and old Mabel's guiding me, and I'm on the phone with my wife, 
and she hears this woman giving me directions, and I had to explain to her that it was Mabel. Almost got me in trouble. One day I was using, uh, you know, the information series side of the thing, and uh, if any of you have ever tried to use that, you know, it can be frustrating sometimes. And so uh, I just basically, you know, I'm in my car by myself, and I basically told her where she could go. And uh, she answered me back. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. She answered me back, and she said, what did I do to deserve that? So I've been cautious ever since. <laughs> I mean, it spooked me, brother. It spooked me. There's a... Uh, I spoke a message at conference that I got uh, the base ideas for what I'm going to share with you here uh, this morning, but I'm not preaching my conference message, just a couple of uh, similar thoughts. But this message is for this church. This is for nobody else, because uh, I've had the privilege of fellowshipping uh, with your ministries here since I've been here. And, you know, the beautiful thing about coming in from outside is, you know, you're used to living here and, and you have an appreciation for your home and your church and all that's going on. But sometimes uh, an outsider can come in and he can see what's going on uh, much clearer. You know what I'm saying? And it, you, you just feel it. You, and when I came into Kingman this time, and as I'm meeting with uh, my friends here, there's this, just this inward excitement uh, that hasn't left me. And I've been pondering it. And I trust that uh, some of you don't know me that well, but I, I hope those that do understand I wouldn't just say this. Uh, I wouldn't stand up here and take your time if I didn't feel that what I'm going to give you is from the Lord and has to do with your destiny. So I'd like you to really understand that what I'm about to say is for you, and it, is, it, it has to do with the possibilities that lie before you. Now, when God created the universe, I'm a firm believer he created every conceivable possibility into it in advance. Right. Yes. That's why it says all things are possible. But I want to put a little disclaimer with that. I believe all things are possible. Uh, with God, nothing is impossible. But every possibility God put out there in the universe isn't particularly for me. Right. And so every possibility isn't probable. You understand what I'm saying? But there are things that are in his will and his design for my life and for your life that uh, he'll bring them within range for us to see. And if we see them, we have to pursue them. Those things are very probable, but they will not become reality until we pursue them. Yes. Moses at the burning bush, for example. Moses has to turn aside to see that great sight. God isn't going to move for him. God says, I'm doing it over here. And if you want to see what's going on, you have to divert from every day and you have to turn aside. Those disciples were in the boat. That's another whole sermon I do uh, 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 without getting to why they're re meeting resistance and all of that. They're simply rowing all night. Jesus comes walking on the water. And the spooky part is, is it says uh, he would have passed them by. 
He knew exactly where they are. He watched them from the mountain struggling all night, and he would have passed them by. Why? Well, there's a whole lesson there, and it's not for this morning's service. It's just that they had hardened their hearts. They were developing their own way of thinking. And this is one way that God was communicating that, boys, we're not going your way. You're going the direction I sent you, but you have your own way of doing things. And I want to tune you up a little bit to say, if you're, you're going to have to follow my way. I'm not going your way. You can go over here and beat your head all you want to and, and, and row all night without making any progress, or you can get on board with me again or get me back on board, and we'll get to the other side. Yes, amen. So the Bible's full of these kind of things. Well, uh, sometimes only in times of our struggle do we develop the heart to begin to seek and uh, knock. And uh, I believe that the church, and uh, I, I was telling Pastor John, I said, I bet you money that what you're feeling here right now is like you've just come up against a brick wall on certain things. And it's like you're pounding at it, but you're not breaking through and you're doing everything you know to do. And uh, he told me, yes, that's true. I feel like that. Well, I think the church is feeling like that right now. But I believe that that wall is about to crumble before us. The resistance is about to break because I feel in my spirit God's about to do the biggest thing that we've ever seen done. Now, this is not new news. We, I've been feeling this for years. Uh, most people have been feeling it for years. But now this is that which was spoken. And so this has everything to do with you. So th there are some probabilities that exist here, uh, but they have to be wrestled with. They have to be, uh, you know, it's not my responsibility to, uh, or right to come in and tell you how to do it, because I frankly don't know how to do it, but I can see the potential, and I want to challenge you about these things. But first of all, I want to talk to you about uh, uh, salt and light. Now, I would have read the scripture to you, but I don't need to because you know it by heart. Um, so, you know, maybe the Lord wants me just to cut to the chase for a change <laughs> instead of provide endless information. So I'm going to do my best, folks. I'm on the spot. Old Mabel has forsaken me today. You know, I'm, I'm feeling so clever that I'm this modern preacher with an iPhone and I can preach from my phone. I can take pictures in the field with my phone, you know. I can do all these things and now you've embarrassed me, you wretched. Uh, <laughs> just. Almost had a manifestation. Oh, well. He that's without sin cast the first stone. That's all I can say. Uh, but getting back on track here, it's like Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, what's it good for? It's not good for anything. So that's important for understanding. We can preach about salt in all kinds of ways. It's preservative qualities. It's, uh, you know, uh, there's all kinds of things you can use salt for. But in the context Jesus is talking about, he's talking about flavor. In other words, he's talking about influence. And then he goes on to say, you're the light of the world. You know, uh, a, a city that's set up on, on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he says, you don't take a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. 
You set it on a lampstand so it brings light. And so what he says is you're the light of the world. You're the illumination. And when you begin to really understand this, it changes your uh, concept of how, uh, what our place is on the earth and why we're really here. You know, I'm a bit of an idealist. And, uh, well, uh, I'm a rabid idealist, is to be honest with you. But sometimes rabid idealism can actually set you off on, on a wrong course with a right heart. And, you know, I want to save the world, don't you? I mean, that's a, that's a good thing, and, and God doesn't disapprove of that. But the point is, is we're never going to save the world until Jesus comes. Now, that sounds almost like heresy and unbelief. But what Jesus is really teaching us is he's saying, no, you're the salt of the earth. These worldly conditions are going to exist till I come, but it's your influence. It's your influence that keeps the, the nations from judgment. Remember, it's like, you know, until he that's taken out of the way, you know, the, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And again, Jesus saying, you know, I looked for a man, but I couldn't find one to stand in the gap between me and the land. And so uh, most of us that are older, and I... <clears throat> I say that with great respect. Amen. Most of us that are older, we remember a time when this country was a lot different, don't we? And uh, why was it different? Because there was a strong Judeo-Christian uh, ethic. Uh, it wasn't that we were a good nation, per se. It wasn't that we, we were sinless people. It's just that the, the, the mindset that was put on what, uh, what's right, what's wrong, you know, that's pretty ambiguous today, but then it was clear cut. Why? Because, well, America went through a great awakening. Uh, America, uh, you know, had several great revivals that took place in its history, and those things salted the whole nation. So what we're about is not necessarily solving the world's sin problem. We're always involved in the redemption of human souls, but Jesus is saying as you go... The world is being redeemed because you're influencing it. Yes. Now, salt, uh, well, I read a quote today. Salt is the only rock that we eat, yes. you know, and so I want to tell you about that. You know, salt, you know, most of you have cooked up a, anybody here like pinto beans and grew up on pinto beans? Come on, you're Arizonans here. You know? Oh, yeah. You know, most of us that grew up in Arizona, we know what pinto beans are. And, you know, especially when I was a young man and I cast out on my own, you know, you could always take it, you know, two slices of bacon and a bag of pinto beans and at least survive. <laughs> but I always noticed that without salt, they were always pretty bland. A little bland, or a little salt in those pinto beans would change them from this, this bland thing without much content to it other than the beans themselves to something that I thought was fit for a king. Just a little salt to flavor it. And that's the difference that flavor moves. Flavor is about influence. Salt influences the whole thing. Now, I can't let you off the hook without sharing one of the Harris gripes of wrath here and, and taking vengeance against the airlines that I fly on occasionally. Used to be they'd give you some peanuts. But they're so cheap, you know, they're so miserably cheap that 
for whatever excuse they use, you know, uh, they don't even give you a bag of peanuts anymore. They give you those little doggy biscuits uh, <laughs> that they call pretzels, uh, and they got that salt rock on them. Now, I like pretzels with salt rock, but how many of you know if you're trapped on an airplane and you got hours to fly, uh, you used to get a little something to eat? And at least peanuts would placate you, you know, or at least this guy. But I hate those little doggy biscuits. They're not decent pretzels. They're nasty little things. And, but you're starving to death, so, you know, I'm the kind of guy that, well, if it's edible, I'll eat it. So I'm eating this away, and, and uh, that little bag disappeared quickly, and I'm looking longingly, wishing I had some more dog biscuits. And... Uh, but there's none to be had. So I look down in the bottom of the package, and sure enough, there's some rock salt down in there. Well, come on, I'm from Arizona. That's the way we do things, right, folks? So, you know, I get down in there, and I got that rock salt all over my finger, and I put it in my mouth, and I'm kind of sucking around on it and enjoying it. And all of a sudden, my stomach cramps. I feel like I'm going to throw up. And, and I mean, I start shaking and I, well, I poisoned myself. You just don't eat salt. That's not what it's for. And I overdid it. Too much salt will kill you. In history, there were whole societies in warfare that were subdued because the military strategy was to cut off the salt supply. And over a time, it was like a siege. Uh, their soldiers' wounds wouldn't heal. Disease had set in on the people. And whole civilizations have actually been brought to a, uh, a crisis point from the lack of salt. That's how salt important it is. So too much will kill you. Too little will kill you. Salt is about flavor and influence. Now, if you can get that through uh, your understanding, suddenly the church takes on a whole different meaning. Yes. You know, I doubt if everybody in Kingman is ever going to come to this church. Probably everybody in the city will pass through eventually for one reason or another. But it's just human nature. Everybody's not going to gather in this church no matter how much we dream it. But this church is going to fill other churches as well as itself. Right. Why? Because of its influence. If we start looking at ourselves for what God intended us to be, it revolutionizes our strategies. Now, I had the privilege of spending a wonderful day with Pastor John, and he was sharing his vision with me. And I'm telling you, as he's sharing his vision with me, uh, it's like, man, my chimes are going off inside. This is not just uh, resonating with me. It's ringing my bells. And I'm saying, this is it. This is it. He is saying the same thing I am, only his vision is he sees you guys and himself as a river like Ezekiel's river that uh, from the house of God, it's flowing out into the world around. And the farther away it gets, the deeper and wider it gets and life is springing up on each side there's an abundance of fish and and everywhere this river flows there's life and I'm thinking that's exactly what the kingdom of God is that's exactly what the church should be and uh, it's a wonderful vision now the next thing we need to think is well then how do we implement this how do we how do we start expressing this because you know whether we like to admit it or not 
we're people that can often be trapped in our own way of uh, doing things, or I call it being trapped in our own orthodoxy. I've got to tell you a humorous story, and you can laugh at me if you want, but uh, I'm not that different from all of you. I'm just honest enough to stand up here and embarrass myself. But I do it because I know most of you are guilty of the same darn things, and I'm perfectly comfortable. Say, well, how do you know that? Takes one to know one, that's all. I ain't stupid. If I wasn't pretty confident (laughs) that I had you pegged when I come in, I wouldn't be so honest about myself. Okay, but I'm one of you. Okay, so I'm pastoring up in Colorado. And I do want to clarify this for everybody. Everybody says, well, you're a really brave man to go to a place like Iraq in the Middle East, especially in these troubled times. And I always correct people and say, well, I'm glad you think like that. I, I, I really like to be credited that way. But the truth is, I was going to Iraq seeking peace because I couldn't find it in the church I was pastoring. And I'd rather deal with the terrorists than the church folks I was dealing with. Now, that's just the truth of it. I'm telling you because we're all friends here. I felt I could cope with the terrorists better than I could cope with the church folk. Now, this has nothing to do with you, but uh, that's my history. And so anyway, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, when I was in Denver, before I actually did have a real heart attack, I started having uh, chest pains. And, uh, you know, I was concerned enough about them to go to the doctor. Well, uh, naturally, the doctors are really concerned. So they sent me in, and they were hard chest pains. And so I ended up in ICU twice. And because I couldn't afford, uh, uh, you know, my own medical insurance in those days, I'm a vet, so I went to the VA. Well, if you know anything about the VA system, they're going to put you, there we go, here. You know they're going to put you through everything. They're going to take good care of you. Uh, but if, when you get to the end, they've given you every test known to mankind, uh, you know, then they're going to do something else. Well, they found out my heart was in pretty good shape, but I still am having these chest pains. So the next step is, well, uh, if you want to, us to keep helping you, you've got to take the next step. We want you to go see the psychiatrist. Now. <laughs> All right, giving them the credit of having looked at me and thinking that was necessary, I can appreciate that. But it wasn't something I wanted to do. What preacher wants to go sit down with a psychiatrist? None, that's right, especially this one. And besides that, I'm a bit of a sidewalk psychiatrist myself. And so... I know what to expect, but man got to do what a man got to do, you know. So I end up going here. Well, this young doctor, he's really a sharp young man. I mean, you know, he he was, of course, younger than me. He wasn't a kid, but uh, I knew he knew his stuff. And they gave me this booklet. It's about this thick, you know. And uh, uh, you, you just go through and you mark all the yes, no answers on it, just so the doctor can scan through and, well, I know what most of these questions mean and what they're looking for. And so it's a no-brainer. But we come to the point with, do you hear voices other people don't hear? (laughs) Do you see things that other people don't see? And I'm thinking now, you know, Lord, a little white lie to save myself some abuse wouldn't be sinful, would it, you know? But, you know, I'm disgusted. I'm at the place of life where I'm thinking, ah, to heck with it. 
That's not exactly the word I use, but this is church. And, and so, out of heck with it. I'm going to come out of the closet and be honest. Yes, I hear voices. Yes, I occasionally see things that nobody else sees. And of course, I know what they're looking for. They're looking for schizophrenia. Well, I don't think I'm a schizophrenic. A psychopath, maybe, but uh, I don't know about schizophrenic. So anyway, uh, uh, the doctor's scanning this thing, and then all of a sudden, I'm telling you, his eyebrows went down to the tip of his nose, you know? And I'm watching him, and so I said, hey, doc, you got to the place about voices, right? And he looks over at me, and he nods his head very seriously to me. And I said, uh, doc, for heaven's sakes... I'm a minister. I'm supposed to hear from God. And he just stared at me for a minute, and then he started howling. I mean, it was a genuine, wonderful laugh. Uh, There was no mockery in it or nothing. He just started laughing. He said, relax, brethren. Brethren, relax, reverend. And and, uh, he said, modern psychiatry acknowledges oral and visual phenomenon as legitimate as long as it's in the context of a group belief. And that's something you can remember, and that's powerful truth. And I thought, wow, even I didn't know that. This is cool. I like this guy, you know. So he said, well, are you under more stress? Well, any minister knows that we live under stress, and we just adapt to it. And so we don't look at what we're living with as being unnatural. And I said, nah, no more than usual. And he says, well, let's take another tact. Tell me about your church. The moment he said that, slowly I turned, step by step. Them devils, you know. I I manifest. Wow. Well, anyhow, after about three sessions talking about me and my church, and there were good folks in that church, but there were some problems, and it wasn't against me. It wasn't against the church. There were some families fighting within the church, and I'd been working with them for five years to try to get them to settle their differences. You couldn't do it, and they were destroying our church. People can't fight in a church without dragging everybody else into it. And before it's all over, they've discouraged the faith of other people, and so they've left, and and it left us in a very vulnerable position, and this is when the chest pains are all coming out, you know? And and again, they're not mad at me, they're not mad at the church, but they're destroying my family and I, and the church. So here's the punchline. At the third session... The doctor says to me, he says, well, Rev, he says, uh, I think I have a solution for your problem. And he says, you're not going to like it, but uh, here it goes. I'm just going to give you my opinion. He says, I think if you leave that church, your chest pains will go away. Now, listen very carefully. The moment he said that, the Lord spoke in an audible voice that I heard, an audible voice. And I've heard the audible voice of God a number of times in my life. It's not a common thing, but I've heard it often, and it's always perfectly correct. 
This is the first time I heard the voice of God sound kind of nonchalant. And would you like to know what he told me? Yes. He said, I told you that two years ago, but you wouldn't listen to me. And my mind flashed back to two years before, and I, I could mark the day, the time, and, and the impression that was in my mind when the Lord, when I'm crying out to the Lord, and He really did speak to me. But for some reason, the answer that He said when He was telling me, you can leave the church, I couldn't believe it was God. I felt it was my wishful thinking. It wasn't the audible voice. It was the inner voice. But, you know, so I just said, uh, no, sir, the good shepherd doesn't uh, forsake the flock. Now, you know, if I run every one of you out of the building this morning, it's not like your life or the kingdom is over. We live in a different world in the first century. And when Jesus spoke those things about his position. The principle is true, but I'm saying it's not the end of the world to have a pastoral change. Amen. That's true. True. But somehow in my mind, it was on me that I had to be there. It never dawned on me. Well, never mind. We don't even need to go there. But, but the point is is, is, is the Lord did speak to me. But my own orthodoxy, my own interpretation, Pastor, my own interpretation of the word held me into a situation that was basically for me a no-win scenario. And I already put 10 years into it. Sometimes this happens to us. And, and it's like we're trapped in this way of thinking. Well, this, this is the way we approach ministry, the way we deal uh, with situations, you know. And, and sometimes it's very hard for us to be innovative Innovation is not anti-Christ. Right. Sometimes God's actually leading you into something wonderful. But if it isn't done the way we're used to it, you know, how, how can you account for a man like Simon Peter? You know, when God himself speaks, I mean, think about this. This is human nature. God gives him a revelation. He brings a sheet down out of heaven and it's got things that Jews don't eat. Now, if God showed you something, you know, you'd think common sense would be, Lord, whatever you say, you know, tell me to juggle and, and wiggle my toes and stand on my head in front of the congregation, you know, I'll do it. But Peter says, not so, Lord. I'm a Jew. I don't eat that kind of stuff. And up the sheet goes. And you know the story three times before he gets it. This is a symbolism that he's saying, I'm getting ready to do what you are not willing to do. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Come on. But Peter can't get it. So I want to suggest that if Simon Peter is sometimes vulnerable like this, maybe we are too. Well, that ain't the way we've done it in the past. Well, maybe we were wrong in the past. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was about to say to my brother in the back that I just met, get that pistole ready. <laughs> we may need it here. <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive me. <clears throat> Isn't it wonderful that God loves fools? 
That's why I'm so sure I'm going to heaven. Right there. Okay, so getting back on track. See, one thing you have to understand is I've also reached that point in life where, you know, those waves in my brain are just going like this, and then all of a sudden they flatline every once in a while. And so you have to patiently wait till the waves start moving again on the meter. Now, I was saying something of significance, but I can't remember what I was saying. I got to thinking about splitting and you have my brother cover me with the pistol. That's the last thing. <laughs> Somebody tell me what I was talking about, will you? Okay, I was just testing you. That's what I thought. You don't listen to what anybody says anyway, so it don't matter. Okay, so let's get back to... What was that? What was that? Okay, Simon Peter, you got me back on track. God bless you. Lord, blessed be this woman above all the women that dwell in the tent. You have saved my bacon. I'm assigning you. I'm, assi that's, I'm a still assigning you. And I'm telling you, if I forget again and you don't remember, I'm blaming it on you. I've been around, you know. Okay. Simon Peter is like, if he can make a mistake like that and not understand what God's trying to tell him, how much more vulnerable are you and I? That was the point. Now, uh, part of the thing I wanted to share in the scriptures is, is, you know, Paul is going to tell us in Thessalonians and in Corinthians, he's going to tell us, you know, that... Uh, the gospel is not in word only, but it's in power. Yes. And then he tells the Thessalonians, he says, my gospel wasn't in just preaching, but it was in the demonstration of power. Yes. And I was using something from our conference to illustrate this. Uh, the man that was our guest speaker, that uh, he, he's kind of an expert on how to deal with Muslim people in presenting the gospel and answer their questions. Uh, as a young man, when he first became a, a Christian, he met a Muslim imam. And, of course, he's not anywhere near able to answer this man who's been tearing down Christianity for, you know, many more years than he's been saved. Uh, so this guy, you know, just basically starts shredding uh, his faith with arguments. And then he says, uh, you know, well... You know, if your God, if your Christian God is so great, let's you and me both get down on our knees and let's begin to pray. And uh, let's uh, see which God sends down fire from heaven, Allah or the Christian God. And, uh, of course, as a young man, it freaked him out and he left because, you know, who among us would be, feel like, you know, we're going to pray and God's going to call down fire from heaven or we're going to call it down. <clears throat> but I wish I'd met that guy now, you know, because I'm old enough and crusty enough. I just said, yeah, that's the way we like it, too. Blades, chains, baseball bats, let's get it on. But none of that store-bought stuff. I just said, yeah, let's get down there. Let's pray. Now, I wouldn't have said that because I'm arrogant enough to think that God's just going to answer my prayer and send fire out of heaven. But I sure know it ain't going to happen for him. Right. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. 
And that puts us on level ground again. And now we rise back to our feet. And my thought was now, let me show you the fire I understand. Because the fire I understand is in me. Right. Yeah. I don't know about calling fire out of heaven. That was something that incidentally he stole from our Bible. And that was something the prophet was doing. And that was a political religious issue. And it was for a whole nation. But I will tell you this. God didn't tell me if I'd go preach the gospel, he'd send lightning out of heaven. But he did tell me he would move with signs and wonders and miracles of his Holy Spirit. He would heal the sick. He would open the eyes of the blind. He'd cause the paralytic to walk. He'd open the, un he'd unstop the deaf ear and he'd raise the dead. Yeah. Now we're getting back into the domain that we understand. And that's what Paul was saying. Our preaching and teaching wasn't in word only. It was in power. Dunamis, supernatural power. Amen. Amen. Seems like we're almost embarrassed these days about supernatural power. But I'm going to tell you, you're not going to convince an unbelieving world with our church liturgy. You're not going to convince them with our worship services. You're not going to convince them with our preaching. They have arguments against it, but it's hard to argue against the power of God manifest. And Jesus said, you go as my father sent me, so send I you. Have I ever told you folks how I did that first crusade I did? Is that a story that you've heard? Well, all of you haven't heard it. We, did a, uh, we had a fellow come in in my early days in Mexico when I was a young pastor just starting out. And uh, he was one of Morris Cirillo's uh, world evangelists. And uh, he actually taught us how to do crusades. And we had rented the, uh, or the uh, Plaza de Toros, the bull ring there. And held 5,000 people. And we had put up, we did everything he said to do. We advertised the way he told us to advertise. And the result was we had 5,000 people, mostly unsaved people, uh, come to that place. And every night, you know, two-thirds of the crowd would respond to the altar call. And there were more miracles every night, of, I mean, of the demonstrable kind than I'd ever seen in my whole life as a believer. And so about six nights of this and thousands of people getting saved and, and you know, literally hundreds of spectacular miracles, uh, he had to go to Africa. And so he said to me, Brother Harris, this is going so well, you ought to continue it on. And uh, I looked at him and I said, Brother, I don't have your uh, gift of healing. And he really did look at me like I was dumber than a bag of hammers. He really did. <laughs> He said, what? You think I've been doing these miracles? You think what's happening here is my doing or my gifting? He said, let me tell you something, young man. If you'll preach the same gospel that you've heard me preach, and if you'll have enough guts to get out there and stand up and believe God, God will move just like he says in his word he'll move. It's not a big power person super. Uh, it's obedience to what God's already said. You go and heal the sick. You cast out devils. Freely you've received. Freely give. I'll be with you till the end of the age. Those is, that's what the Bible says. And so 
you know, I've always wanted to do ministry like that. And I'm a young preacher and I'm excited. And, and, uh, but now the man of God's gone. And the next night there's 5,000 people up there and they didn't come to see Mickey Mouse here. I mean, I'm literally feeling like Mickey Mouse in his little short pants with the big buttons on the front and his little white gloves. And I can see myself saying, you know, hey, hi, my name's Mickey. And I can see, you know, all these pop bottles, you know, being thrown. And I can see this mound with me buried under it, you know, and this is my graven monument to folly. Well, our church was right next door to the Plaza de Toros. So I went next door and I locked myself in and I began to pray. I was repenting. I was repenting. I was crying before the Lord. Lord, I am sorry that I've been so presumptuous to feel I could stand in that great man's place and do a work for God. And, and man, I, I'm, I'm scared. I'm weeping. Uh, my heart was broken. I felt like, you know, what a massive ego you've got to even think you could do that. And this is another occasion when the Lord spoke audibly. Would you like to know what he said? Yeah. He didn't say anything, you know. Now, if I was going to tell God how he should speak when he speak to me, you know, I, I'd like him to say things like, you know, pobrecito, you know, just, oh, it'll be okay, you know. God doesn't talk to me like that. It's so matter of fact that it's embarrassing. He doesn't seem to indulge my, you know, my longing for approbation, my habitual, unending longing for approbation. Affirm me, affirm me, affirm me. Come on, you feel it too. I might just preach another half hour until I get your hard hearts broke through here. That was an amen place if there was ever an amen place. It was also a moment you could have shrieved yourself, so to speak, with a little confession. I gave you the opportunity. Now you've had it. I'm just messing with you. The Lord spoke, and all he said in a very straightforward voice, but it wasn't conciliatory. It wasn't showing me any pity. It wasn't showing me any animosity. It was truth just being spoken. And this is exactly what he said. The works that I do shall you also do and greater than these because I go to my father. And the moment I heard that, I knew God spoke and there was nothing else to worry about. And I went out and preached my first miracle crusade. And that night saw the first miracles that came out of my ministry. I knew that I didn't do them, but I knew that I had found what I was supposed to do and how I was supposed to do it. Now, having told that story, I want to bring this to a conclusion here. I want to, what has this got to do with you? Everything. Because I feel that this congregation, this is my opinion, and listen, folks, wisdom doesn't die with me. I know I come off kind of strong sometimes and, and everything, but I don't really think I know it all. I'm sharing from the heart what I earnestly believe. And, and whether you believe this or not, I love you folks. 
I love this church. I love your pastoral team. These guys are my friends. They've stood shoulder to shoulder with me. They've stood, uh, they've covered my back. My family and I have survived many a hard time over 14 years because this church never missed a lick. And these people believed. Now today we're reaping the result of that. We're having an explosion in Egypt. Iraq is now the base, even with all of its troubles right now. We have a base that next summer we're going to stage out of there, and our PC teams are coming in to bring in workers from the Middle East to a safe environment where they, we can give them what they need and encourage them and then send them back forth and get behind them. That is your work, folks. That is our work together. Everything that I have done that's of any note and any worth, it's linked directly to Kingman, Arizona, and the love of this church for our ministry. I know that sounds like some guy coming up and just promoting the work and the mission and all of that, and it sounds like church stuff. I hope, I hope that you have the ability to discern beyond that. If you never did another thing to help my family and I or our churches in the Middle East, you have already gone over the top. And you have already made possible there. And wherever I go and whatever I do that's successful for the Lord, your investment is still there. Whether you ever invested another dime, that has nothing to do with it. This has to do with who you are, who you decided to be. I never came here and begged for money. I didn't have to. That's a fact. I never had to. And you can't recall one time when I ever came and asked for anything. Because I didn't have to. I had friends here and I had people here who believed and knew what to do. And now we're reaping the fruit of that big time. And the Middle East, it's shaking right now, folks. It's shaking right now. But we're part of that shaking. You're going to hear bad things erupting real quickly here. What you won't hear is the things that are erupting for the kingdom of God. We're winning. We're winning. Now, I want to talk about your vision, and I want to close this down as quickly as I can, but I want to to leave this with you because Pastor Harry took me up into the the lodge up in the the Wallapies, and... uh, he fed me a good steak yesterday. Maybe that helped the revelation. It didn't hurt it, I'll tell you that. Just saying. But uh, I've been thinking the whole time I've been here, fellowshipping with Pastor John, fellowshipping with Harry, and, and talking about the different giftings and, you know, talking about some of the things that frustrate, uh, you know, our ministry staff here and the, the things that, you know, you got, let me bring it into focus. You've got three ministry gifts that were deposited in this uh, uh, assembly that uh, don't always make sense in terms of how to utilize them. The gifting I'm talking about. Okay, and Pastor John, I, I, was, I make no apology for saying this. He is the Dwight Eisenhower. And if you don't know anything about Eisenhower, okay, Eisenhower, whatever your politics is, he was 
the chief commander over that, uh, you know, the yes, European yeah. theater because he had the brains. Yeah. He had the sensitivity and the understanding of what needed to do to, with all these contrary forces that were work. Right. He had the British, he had the Russians, he had, you know, the different factions of our American society and all these pressures, you know, uh, working for their own selves were working against the overall war effort and he knew how to keep it all flowing. Now, Patton was a guy like me. He is an ingenious warrior, but somewhat of an idiot. <laughs> I don't say that disrespectfully. If you put Patton in a political environment, his mouth got him in trouble every time. He is opinionated. Now, I don't want anybody to get the impression that I might be opinionated, you know, not moi. But that was his weakness. So you don't take a general you know, and put him in a political position. Right. Yeah. Eisenhower was the perfect match for that. Now, I was thinking about Harry. Uh, Harry and I have worked together since we met. We're not even going to talk about how many years ago. It's, it's hurtful to think how long ago that was. <laughs> Whether you realize it or not, Harry Hill's working and serving in here. He has the reputation of being one of the best evangelists in, uh, in this lifetime. Yeah. Now, I don't have to tell you anybody, you know, Harry Hills is one of the most eccentric people you're ever going to meet. That's not a slam. Harry is on a different wavelength. He is an evangelist. He is a true evangelist. He sees through a different lens his whole motivation, his whole emotions. Uh, he sees different than other people see. He's a natural-born evangelist. He dreams of the miraculous. He dreams of souls saved. He dreams of seeing revival. That's him. Why did God put an evangelist like that in our midst to serve in a church? Well, I'm going to get to that. Then there's Alec Wilson. Now, you know these men, but see, I'm telling you that these men... They were my friends before there was a Kingman church. I've known these men all my life. And what most, most people, maybe unless you listen to Alec Wilson, he, he's a good pastor. He's, 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 he's excellent ministry. I mean, you're not going to find anything finer. But his heart, like mine, is in the nations. And that bleeds out all the time. Why would God put a guy here in this church in Kingman, Arizona, whose heart is in Africa, whose heart is in this nation or that nation? Why would he put that international component in? Well, my job is to try to kind of put things like this together because I understand them, and I'm an outside voice that can say, wait a minute, there's a reason for this. Okay? There's a reason for this. This church is in a transitory stage. When it's getting ready to step into the next uh, uh, stage of its... Uh, it's gonna, you're going to be propelled, as it yeah, were, right. in the yeah. next stage of your growth and development. But it's important to understand what's going on. This is not church is normal. God is preparing you for something. Yes. Now, uh, this particular crowd that's sitting here today, I'm going to hazard something. I'm going to put myself at risk. But I think I know you people, and I can feel you when I'm preaching to you. You may not think a preacher sees much, but we feel you. Yeah. 
And what I feel here today is I don't see people that just come to church to sit in church. I believe you're one of those rare congregations that actually has a vision. That actually has a hunger to see your life mean something in touching the world around us and bringing change. I see people here that desire to be a catalyst somehow to influence the world in which you live. All of you are not called to go to Iraq. All of you are not called to go to the mission field or go do evangelistic things. Uh, But what if God is about to bring the world to you? You say, would God do that? Let me tell you something. We couldn't get... Syria is right next door to us in Iraq. It's right there. You can, uh, you, we're on the border. We couldn't get over there, but this conflict broke out, and guess what? Five kilometers outside their city, there's 120,000 Syrian refugees, you know, uh, less than six miles from our church. God brought them to us. Out of the conflict, God brought them to us. There's a million Syrian refugees in Kurdistan. And there's another million Iraqi IDPs that have come up in this time of conflict into our territory for safety. That's a, an IDP is a, uh, uh, you know, a homegrown refugee. Somebody is a refugee in their own country. ISIS drove many of the Iraqi citizens out of their homes and uh, took their wealth away from them, and they came up just to save their lives up in the north. Now here are two million people, one million IDPs from lower Iraq and one million Syrian refugees just in Kurdistan. God brought these people so that we could reach them. They're not going to stay there. Someday they're going to go home. The IDPs in Iraq are already going home. But they're taking the gospel with them. And we've touched a portion of them. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Now, a city set on a hill. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. What if God wanted to make this church, this church, a light to this nation? I'm talking to the nation. Do you realize that God is capable of drawing people to come over here to see what's going on in your midst from California, all over Arizona, Colorado, the whole Southwest, the Northwest, the East Coast, and from around the world? There have been several revivals in our lifetime that that's exactly what God did. Why not here? Suddenly, you know, now as energetic... Is old Harry Hills is. Old Harry Hills is old. He ain't dead. He's just old. And so's his buddy Jack. We got hearts like lions, but we don't move very fast anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm wondering if it's dawn anybody that, you know, Harry and I were talking, and, you know, guys like us, we ought to just say, you know, why don't we just hang up our sneakers, man, <laughs> and just settle down and let everybody else, let the younger folks in. But we can't do that. One, God's kept us broke enough all our life that we have to work. I think that's a heavenly strategy. That's not a bellyache. 
keeps temptation out of the way, you know. The other point is this, that what if God is thinking about bringing the revival here? Then everything else, I, I can't put this all together for you, but I can just help you dream this morning. And I'm sure that as I'm talking, you can see it in your mind's eyes. And you're part of this. You, all of you. This is just not, you know, a mutual admiration society between me and my buddies here. I know these guys ministry and I'm just kind of looking at it from that point of view. But I understand there's a wonderful, great congregation of people that God himself has assembled here in Kingman, Arizona. And all of a sudden I see this congregation and its vision coming into a new life and actually flavoring this whole nation, flavoring the nations of the world right from Kingman, Arizona. Yeah. You say, would God do that, or is that just wishful thinking? Well, there's a little city in Arizona not far from here where he did that when I was a boy. Amen. And people came from all over the world. And that's a fact. And I know I was there. I was the first young man saved in that movement. I saw what God did from the beginning. I still remember how it worked. And I know... What I'm saying is possible. Can you believe it? Yes, 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 I tell you, the days are going to be for you like Isaiah, if you'll receive it. Where kings are going to come from the north, the south, and they're going to be carrying the children that you lost on their shoulders. And kings will be your nursing fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. And you're going to be like that widow in Isaiah, you know. You're going to be so blown away by this. You're going to say, who are these and where did they come from? How did this happen? It's the doing of the Lord. With man, these things aren't possible. But with God, all things are possible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. God is putting out a probability to this church this morning. This is what your probable destiny is. Whether it shapes exactly like I've described it, I don't know, but it'll be similar. It's a probable thing. But if you don't get out of the boat and go hunt that whale, it's just going to, send, it's going to swim right off. There has to be a choice. There has to be a choice in your leadership. And there has to be a choice in the heart of the people the citizens of the kingdom that live here in Kingman, Arizona. Let's stand to our feet, please. Huh, Mabel. I got through it anyway. I didn't need her. I didn't need her. And I'm feeling pretty spiffy, too. Folks, I'm very sincere about this. Now, as I close my portion of the service this morning, I want to challenge you to open your heart to your destiny. This is not my destiny I'm talking about. This is your destiny. I hope to be a part of it, but it's your destiny. This is the doing of the Lord for you. Again, I'm not qualified to tell you how it'll all fall out or what it's going to look like, but I'm pretty, pretty sure that I spoke in the mind of God this morning concerning the general direction. And I feel it within reach. 
And I feel an anointing when I talk about it. The implications for you and your families, for your future, for this city, these are huge. As I said earlier, you don't need to get everybody in Kingman into this building. Other churches are going to fill. They're going to fill up. And there are going to come new churches into this place. We don't need to feel competitive. You're going to fill all of them. They'll never give you credit for that. But you're going to fill all of them. Because it really is different strokes for different folks. That's just the way it is. But you are the salt. You're the flavor. You're the, and you know what? You're going to influence all of those people. Amen. And you'll find that they'll imitate exactly what you're doing. I want to believe God to do something for you, not only in the sense of vision this morning, but I'm believing that he wants to touch you. Some of you have some needs this morning. Now, I'm not going to give a great altar call. I'm going to give a small one in just a moment. But I want you to prepare your heart, because when I close in prayer, I do believe that some people are going to get touched supernaturally this morning, right where you are. Okay, we've got no show to put on here. We've got no agenda. This is between you and God. I want you to know the eyes of the Lord still run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on whose hearts are perfect toward him. God is searching this place this morning, and he sees you. Do you see him? He sees you. Do you see him? If you'll open your heart right now, where you're standing, you may feel like you're just one of a, you know, one number in a mass of people. That's not true. God knows you. He knows how many hairs there are on your head. He knows your name, your address. He knows everything about you. And he will touch you if you'll reach out to him this morning. But you've got to be hungry. Okay? You've got to be hungry. Is there anybody here hungry this morning? Then let's believe God. He's going to heal. Not because I said so, but because he says so. He's going to heal. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be specific. There's several broken hearts here this morning. There's several broken hearts. I don't know what caused that heartbreak. I don't know what the agony of spirit is about, but you came into this service. You're not even related, but there's several people here this morning. There's an agony of spirit. You came here. God's going to touch you this morning. You may not understand how he's going to solve all of this. It may look impossible, but you're going to receive the touch that it gives you assurance that he saw you and he heard you. And I'm speaking this right now because he intends on helping you. Get ready to receive it. There's some people that need physical healing. The promise isn't mine. The promise is God's. It's for you. You have to appropriate it. There's some things here that need mending. They can be mended right here. The cement and the glue may be applied right here, right now. You may have to wait for it to dry and set, but it'll happen right now in the next few moments. All things are possible with God. With God, nothing's impossible. And I want you to know there are many things that he's saying right now that are your probable reality if you'll receive it. Let's let's quit playing church this morning. Let's believe God. There are certain things only he can do. No magic man's coming in here and waving his hand and solving all the problems. We're looking to the Lord our God. We're looking to the Jesus Christ who shed his blood. 
my mind goes back to a very dark season of the soul for this man. I was a young man. And I was at the end of myself and had been a mocker and a scoffer toward Christianity all my life. Well, all my adult life. And I'd never seen anything in my youth that convinced me that it was real, but something always was there. It was planted. And I don't have to tell you how that happened, but there came a day when in that dark night of the soul, Jesus met me. I'm not exaggerating as a young man. My wife used to be, my young wife used to be afraid that I was going to go out one night and would never come back. She felt it. Because I made a decision, if I couldn't find some answers for the things that were dominating my life, I was just going to check out because there was no answer and I couldn't deal with my own problems that were my own fault anymore. But as that old song said, on that dark and stormy night, just in time, I saw the light. The light of that old lighthouse. Oh, Kingman. Oh, Kingman, listen to me. People need a lighthouse. One that's bright enough to shine into the world. One that's bright enough to shine into nations. One that will bring healing to this city, our nation, and regions beyond. Are you ready to pray with me? Lift your hands to the Lord. I'm going to say this to those of you that may have come who don't know Jesus. You can know him. And Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom of heaven until you're born again. I want to invite you, if you're here and you've never received Jesus, I want you just to step out of your seat and I want you to come and stand with me. I'm not going to make any more of a plea with that. I won't embarrass you. Nobody here will. We're already prepared just to pray for you and make this personal and intimate for you. But you can meet God this morning. You can meet Jesus. You can be touched with his power. But nobody's going to twist your arm. Nobody's going to ask you to join uh, or sign your name on the dotted line. It's nothing like that. But if you want my prayer this morning and you want us to pray together, when we start praying, you just make your way up here and stand in front of and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, be honored. Now, Lord, as I stand with my brothers and my sisters, as I stand with this church, this city of light, that you've built on a hill. Lord, I pray right now that you begin to reach into the heart of your people. There are people that need healing this morning. Without any great outcry, without any effort on their part other than to believe you and to reach forth and receive, I pray that you're going to touch their bodies, that you're going to touch their minds, that you're going to heal their souls. Lord, I pray for those broken-hearted ones here. I felt it. I felt it. Lord, I pray that you're going to just touch in such a way that assurance will be given. Let there be that inner witness that says, it shall be well with my soul. It shall be well with my soul. The answer is already in motion. The healing has already begun. And it will unfold. It won't tarry. It's here. 
Now, Lord, I pray for those that are facing difficult decisions right now and hardships in their life. I know that there's some things. I don't care what the rest of the world looks like. I know there's some things of blessing that are about to break right here in Kingman that are unique to this city. They're your provision for your people. You're, you're turning the very economy of this city so that there will not be limitations. People can live here. People can work here. People can find sustenance here. They don't have to run someplace else because you're doing a work right now. Right now. I, I feel very strong about this. Right now, Father, there... There are some people that they're concerned that they may have to leave the area because of work. Right now, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that the new door, the perfect door for them, literally open before them. Literally open before them. And it will be that they see this is your hand to sustain them, that they may serve you in the place that you've placed them. That oil will not fail, nor will that wheat in the barrel fail. It'll sustain them the whole time. Father, I just pray right now that vision be cast in our lives and that you help us each one from the greatest to the smallest, the youngest to the eldest, to see our place in this glorious thing. That we see the days when men are coming to Christ. That miracles of healing are common. And Lord, that the word of the Lord and the joy of every heart is, this is the Lord's doing. Is it wondrous in our sight? Lord, I pray the peace that passes understanding seize this congregation. Every device of the enemy, every manchination, and twisting of motivation that has been set in array against this congregation, against its leadership, against its people. I bind that right now in the name of Jesus and confidently do that knowing that that is your will, O Lord. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.